You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, what it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that most animals that permanently attach themselves to something, like, say, sea anemones, reproduce by releasing sperm and eggs into the water and just kind of hoping magic happens so they swim around and float around and things like that. Other animals, like sponges and corals, do something called sperm casting, which is related to live casting, except it's not digital. And they just basically release the sperm in the hopes that another animal will catch them to use and fertilize their eggs. But there's one animal, the, the lovely barnacle, which is called a sessile or anchored animal that actually mates with its partners. So barnacles are hermaphrodites. They do have the largest penis to body ratios of any animal with a penis that can be up to eight times the length of the barnacle, which is bizarre. The other thing that you probably don't know is that you can actually eat barnacles. The really big ones, they make soup out of them in some places, which is apparently high in iodine. Iodine, by the way, is good for sex hormones and uh, things like thyroid. But we were just talking about sex, and there's a reason for that. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. So, why am I talking about getting some? Because, well, today's guest 
is Eli Block, who's a teacher, a trainer, and lead orgasmic meditation instructor at One Taste. This is a guy who has probably one of the most cool jobs on the face of the earth, as far as I can tell. And it's been a while since anyone from One Taste has been on the show. And One Taste is a professional training and leadership course that takes men and women through all levels of an orgasmic practice. Now, you might think, all right, this is kind of weird, but here's the deal. Um, This is a group that's teaching people the skill, the biological skill of orgasm and looking at what it does to the body, which is one of the things you can do for hacking. So Eli studied orgasm since 2008 and actually, after a couple of years of this, left his job at Apple to become a full-time One Taste staff member. And I can see why, because, I mean, okay, iPhones are cool, but let's face it, orgasms are probably cooler. I mean, would, would you agree, Eli? I would. You know, I was, I was on a career that was headed into smaller and smaller rooms with less and less natural light and uh, more and more tiny devices to break. And stroking clitorises just sounded more appealing than that. I think you just single-handedly dropped Apple stock price by 50% when you said that. <laughs> Have you considered this? I mean, that, <laughs> I think, I think I'm actually I'm, I'm providing a really valuable career path out for disgruntled Apple employees. All right. I'll, uh, I'll buy that. Now, first, though, before we get started, what is oming or orgasmic meditation and, and why is it important? I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people listening today haven't heard all the back episodes because I've certainly talked about Nicole and her work before, and uh, we've had another guest from One Taste on. So just kind of give me a give, give everyone listening the overview of what is One Taste. Yeah, for sure. So One Taste is the parent organization that teaches this practice called orgasmic meditation. And our vision is that someday you would say uh, yoga, meditation, and orgasm all in one sentence without going orgasm when you say the third word. And we're doing that through, a, uh, uh, like you said, a, a, a series of courses, starting with an introduction course to a practice that we call orgasmic meditation. So what that is, is it's a simple 15-minute partnered practice where one partner, typically a man, though it can be a woman, uh, any sex, any gender, strokes the upper left-hand quadrant of a woman's clitoris for 15 minutes with no goal. The only objective for both partners through the whole experience is to put their full attention on the point of connection between them. And this is really different than, um, you know, most of the, the treatment of the female genitals that you see in like porn and, and pretty much anything um, that's, that's promoted by our media and our culture. This stroke is really light and delicate, and the whole practice is actually geared towards improving and increasing the sensitivity of both people and accessing flow states between them. That's uh, probably something that has a lot of people sitting in the cars right now. Uh, maybe their head's spinning a little bit. So this isn't about getting laid. This isn't about the pickup artist kind of thing at all. Like it's not related to that. This is about like like basically a biological capability that that we have. And now, you're talking about stroking a woman. So as a master trainer, there, um, what's in it for the man? That's you know that's like it's oftentimes the first or the last question that I <laughs> I, I, I hear people ask, and I think. Um, you know, I'll just put it at a really basic level that um, I don't know. So, so we're you're right. We're using the body as a um, as a mechanism to access flow, and the reason it's a partnered practice is because you can't take yourself out of control. 
And as a person who doesn't have a spot on my body with eight, you know, scientists say between eight and 80,000 nerve endings exist in the clitoris. That is a lot of nerve endings. And that's more nerve endings than any other spot on any human body, male or female bodied people. And so as a person who doesn't have that degree of sensitivity built into my body, I have this amazing opportunity in this practice to learn how to tune in at a really almost imperceptible level of sensation as I, uh, as I stroke that spot on someone else's body. And, um, if it's a 15 minute period, the thing that I've actually got to do is I've got to, I've got to, um, put all of my attention on there and let myself feel more deeply than I feel in most other situations. I mean, I'll tell you one of the most common things that people come to this practice for is to have an experience of sexuality that's out of their heads. You know, you hear it all the time and it's well documented that meditation practices in general get us out of our heads. You know, people want to have a, a and they say, oh, this promotes happiness to get out of your head. Okay, well, learn how to do it with another person at a fairly intense point of connection in flow. And so as a man, I'm learning how not just to have like the 5% of my body that I would normally consider, uh, you might call like sexually active, my genitals. I'm not learning how just to have 5% of myself be engaged uh, in connection with another person. I'm learning how to have 100% of myself engaged starting with the tip of my finger. Okay, starting with the tip of your finger. Got it. So after you, you do this practice, how often do you do this with, with so, a partner? Yeah. So as a as so just you know for your viewers, um, I practiced. I've been practicing for about uh, going on seven years in about a month, and um, I've practiced you know probably with I don't know at this point hundreds of people, hundreds of women, and um, I'm married. Just got married in July. And so my wife and I, um, we both practice just with each other at times. We also practice with other people. Um, but you can have the practice however you want it. You can practice, um, you know, with a, a litany of people. You can practice with just one person. There's no specific prescription for how someone should have their own practice. In fact, the, the majority of omers, um, from what we can tell, are monogamous couples who only own with each other. They're, they're like the silent majority. And so I own, and so to answer your, your question, I own somewhere between two and three times a day. That's my average. So this means that you're basically bringing a woman to orgasm that many times a day? Well, that's, that's another great point is that um, orgasm, the way that we describe it, is a little bit different than most people, which is what makes orgasmic meditation unique. And so, so Dave, I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions. You can be, you can be the voice of, of, of America here in the world, really listening to this. Um, you've noticed that this is a conversation I usually have with people, which is, um, you've noticed that your body and women's bodies tend to work kind of differently when it comes to orgasm, right? Sometimes. Sometimes, right? There's certainly tendencies that we observe on a spectrum, right? And so some people are more on the um, climactic end of the spectrum, where they, meaning that they, they climax really easily. Um, and some people don't climax hardly at all. And um, I think your viewers will probably relate to this, but it tends to be that feminine bodies, women's bodies tend to, and again, these are tendencies, tend to land more on the side of non-climaxing, sort of in the same linear way that a man's body climaxes, which is, you know, sort of in a straight line, climbing, 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 poop at the very top. And then you go through a one-way door 
down the other side that you can't go back through. You know, you lose interest. You want a sandwich. Maybe you want a a a, 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 a mug of bulletproof, and then you're you know you're back <laughs> on your feet. We have a definition of orgasm which is different than most people's, and um, it starts because there's a difference between how our bodies work, how our bodies tend to work in terms of orgasm. So if you go with a definition, that's that definition of climax, goal based. It just you know it happens if you just go fast and hard enough, really. Um, you've cut out, you know, a large percentage of female bodies from that particular prescription. And, um, you know, you, you can look at that in a couple of different ways, right? You can look at it the way the DSM is looking at it, which is that there's probably 20 to 30 different diagnoses for um, anorgasmia or mm -hmm. um, female hypoactive sexuality desire disorder. And, you know, they're creating a they're doing their best to create like a female Viagra based on this notion that women should be climaxing more, damn it. And, um, <laughs> right. That, you know, we don't know as guys, there are like, certain pieces of hardware that help with that too. Yeah, there, there, there can be. Um, and I think if we listen to how women's bodies, you know, sort of naturally operate without using a ton of force, they don't seem to want to go that way. It's like, you can pull a, you know, you can, you can, uh, what's the, I don't know exactly what the animal is. You try to pull it up a hill and it won't go. If you drag it hard enough, it's going up the hill because you can overpower it. But, you know, based on its terms, it might not want to go up. So, um, back to what I was saying. So the, the, the definition of orgasm we have is one that actually, uh, is descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, meaning that it is, um, based on what we've actually observed, how our different bodies tend to work as opposed to trying to fit a woman's body into a pre-existing definition. And, you know, I know my own sex life for a long time, if I couldn't bring a woman to orgasm, you know, I was, I felt incompetent and then she often felt broken in some way. And, you know, I was looking for something on some level to try to educate myself about what was the truth here. And, uh, this practice introduced me to this definition of orgasm, which actually includes how everyone's bodies work. And so that definition is, uh, it's actually funny. We have a, a whole coaching program, like you said, of people who, you know, learn how to do this, over, do this over a six month period. And we have these one page sheets describing this difference. And the climax section is like this long and the orgasm section is like one sentence. So to us, the definition of orgasm is the moment the body enters the involuntary. So it's the moment your body starts doing something you don't have control over. We call that getting turned on. Most people would call it getting turned on. And so for us, that whole experience is orgasm. Um, whether it's just, you know, your nipples get hard or your lips get flush or you have butterflies in your stomach, or maybe you have a, you know, really intense 30 minute climax. None of that is, um, the goal of this practice. The goal of this practice okay. is just to feel. Yeah. So when you talk about orgasmic meditation, what yeah. you're you're really talking about is is focused attention on essentially arousal, whether or not it includes a climax. That's correct. All right. Now, what does this do to, for people as opposed to just you know well having sex and you know finishing the way most people do? Yeah. Well, and and so. Um one of the things that I like to do in the class that I teach, we teach this introduction to Ohm in, in a bunch of different major cities. But one of the things that I do during the class, um, if people, if this isn't landing with folks, which is common, this is a, this is a new definition. It's kind of weird. It, um, is very, uh, counter to what most of us have been taught growing up. What I do is an exercise called, uh, the orgasmic fairy tale. And so what, what I do is I, I tell people to tell each other a fairy tale. 
any fairy tale that they know, these are things that we all know. They're they're really simple. Um, you know what the end is going to be. You know the 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 wolf is going to get killed uh, by the woodcutter, and everyone lives happily ever after. And you hear that fairy tale about a, a thousand times growing up to the point where no one really tells them anymore as adults. You know, uh, the magic of fairy tales is kind of left with those who, who haven't heard them for a long time, which is usually, or haven't heard them through the course of a life, which is like, you know, kids five and under, right? And that's how our sex lives get. You know, there's a certain magic, there's a certain unpredictability which happens early on in life that, you know, um, I think we tend to lose, at least I did, you know, I'll speak for myself. I, I tended to lose a certain amount of spontaneity and kind of knew, you know, how it was going to start, what the middle was like and how it was going to end, you know, always in some kind of climax or, you know, uh, in a certain position that I liked. And it kind of was a story that got told over and over again in my relationships and the sex life got dull. And then we usually broke up. That was how my relationships used to go. And, um, what orgasm does is it introduces flow. And I think a lot of your your viewers know about flow states, but the magical thing about a flow state is that once you're in it, you have no idea where it's going to end. For people who don't know about a flow state, it's also known as the zone, and sort of that the place where you go, where just everything kind of collapses in, and you just you focus on what you're doing. And quick plug here, yeah, um, the guys who are behind the Flow Genome Project, I, I'm one of the backers of the Flow Genome Project. They're going to be at the Bulletproof Conference this year. They gave the keynote last year and provided the same thing, obviously, these giant structures for putting you in flow. And you guys are also at the last conference. So because flow state is a part of how we gain control of our biology, um, come to the Bulletproof Conference, check out more of One Taste, and also check out more about flow. So there, you, you brought it in. I had to, had to plug the conference because it's coming oh, up here I'm really, in I'm short really order. glad you did. Uh, everyone <laughs> who came from One Taste last year said that you guys were such a kick and so awesome, and I, I'm going to be there this year, and I really can't wait. So definitely go to the Bulletproof and Conference. One, one of my favorite photos from the conference is me standing with four really attractive women all wearing T-shirts that said orgasm expert. Like, how do you lose being the only guy in a photo like that? So I, I, I actually mentioned to them, I said, oh, I'm going to be talking to Dave today. And they're like, say hi for us. So you have, <laughs> yeah, you have, you have a lot of fans <laughs> over here at One Taste. Um, so, uh, so flow states and orgasm, yep. my favorite topic of all time. So, um, so flow states, right? You, you get into one and it's absorbing. You know, it's not the in-your-head experience that, that most of us have, you know, uh, uh, when we're trying to do something with uh, – really with our heads, you know, a flow state involves you getting into your body. And so the experience of OM that, and I'm make sure that I answer your question here, in order to enter flow, you have to let go of control. And so if you're going to let go of control, you can't have that, that destination point like you would with the, with the, um, with the fairy tale analogy. You know, it's, it's my favorite one because it's so common. Everybody knows it. But if you do a fairy tale, you know, the part of the exercise which really people understand is when I say, um, I tell one partner, you're going to tell the fairy tale. And I tell the other partner in, the, in this exercise, you're going to say the word change whenever you want to. And the first partner has to change the last detail of the story. So by the end of these stories, you've got people, you've got Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at the bottom of the sea talking to King Kong about a Snickers bar. You have no idea where these stories are going to go. And so what orgasmic meditation does, because it's goalless, is it actually takes you to places you couldn't have ever planned to go in your sex life. It takes people to places, um, you know, if you've got a goal, the best thing that can happen is your goal. And orgasm 
in, in this practice by removing the goal and by just putting your attention on what you can feel and following what you can feel and being absorbed by that, it's much more like surfing than it is like, um, uh, like telling a fairy tale that everybody knows the answer to. So, so there's an interesting study I posted a long time ago about fMRI, like looking at, at the, the brains of people when they're doing jazz improvisation, right? which is a similar thing. Like you have no idea where it's going to go. Like you all just basically like make honking sounds on instruments. <laughs> but whether, I'm, I'm not that big of a jazz fan. Apologies to all the followers who are jazz fans. <laughs> but you, you basically all, uh, all do your instrument and suddenly magic happens, but you don't know what's going to happen. Truly. Um, just jam in with the band basically if, if it's not, if, if it's any kind of musical improvisation. And uh, something very defi- definitive and different happens that even like the structure of your brain will change if you do that a lot. And what you're proposing here, if I'm drawing an analogy, is basically doing the same thing but in the bedroom. That's so correct. You, okay, cool. And that could could change your brain in a similar way to other well, kinds of. Well, there's actually well there's and there there actually have been studies done on on orgasmic meditation. Um, uh, Rutgers, in fact, had a one of a, an orgasm researcher, Doctor uh, Doctor Pooja Lakshman, was yeah, uh, she, she was on the show. Yeah, yeah. We, I know. Yeah, she had such a good time, and she's um, great. She's amazing. And one of the things which we know anecdotally from this practice is that um, it involve in order to actually hit this flow state, it involves both partners to let go of control. It can't be that there's just one partner who's having the experience and the other person is, you know, providing it or checking out, which is one of the most common, you know, what's in it for me, you know, from the stroker questions that I get. And the answer is you actually get to go into this experience with your partner. You both let go and then you both go on this ride together that you couldn't go on by yourself. All right. So that, that's something that you get from it. How often does orgasmic meditation lead to actual sex? Well, it's a, that's again. You, these are fantastic questions. Um, the answer to your question is that we actually uh, we instruct our practitioners not to blend the two for several different reasons. Um, oming is a practice which it's like weightlifting for the sex that you want to have. Om builds all of the sensitivity and the sense of safety and the sense of intimacy that you would want translated to your sex life, but you would never want to use Om as foreplay. And there's a couple really great reasons for that. The first and primary reason is that human beings have something called the center of vigilance in their brains. And this is a particularly loud voice in a woman's brain. It's the same thing you would notice if you were at home and it was the middle of the night and someone stepped on a twig outside your, your window, you'd be up bolt, you know, you, you'd wake up and you'd, you know, you'd be really awake and you'd feel the adrenaline pounding and everything. And you would, your the part of your brain that determines whether or not you feel safe would be activated and it would have you on alert to make sure there were no threats nearby. And there's a, there is a real thing which we observe, which is something called hypervigilance, which is the part of the brain that, that we're talking about, the center of vigilance does not relax even under situations where we'd like it to, like in the bedroom. You know, have you ever had an experience, if any of your viewers have ever had an experience where um, they, they were having a makeout or they were in some kind of intimate experience with their partner and they just couldn't get out of their heads? You know, they, they couldn't let go. They were thinking about the laundry. They were thinking whether or not they'd, um, you know, unplugged the, the bulletproof coffee maker. You know, <laughs> all these different questions that, that the, the, the Vigilance Center will inject at very uh, inconvenient moments. And so one of the things that this practice does, because it's 15 minutes, it's timed by the clock every single time. Uh, only certain things happen during the practice. So you're not just freestyling it the whole time. It's a very specific thing that you do. 
Um, what that tends to do over a long period of time of holding that structure is it has both partners feel free to actually let go and feel more and more and more as the structure is, becomes more and more trustworthy. And so one of the things that interrupts that trustworthiness is whether or not you feel like afterwards you're going to have to perform sexually. So OM is something you do and you want to notice whether or not afterwards, you know, you might feel turned on, whether or not it leads directly to a sexual experience every time. Because what will eventually happen is the part, one partner or another will want to have a connected experience like OM, but they won't necessarily want to have sex afterwards. And they'll say no to the OM because they'll anticipate they'll have to do a sex act. Got it. So you separate those out. Now, I imagine the vast majority of people listening to the show right now are, are going like, like, this guy's a little bit crazy um, because, well, I think the technical term for it would be blue balls. Yes, that's so, a great question. Uh, I mean, this one, I, I, I'm comfortable I'm happy, with. I'm happy to address that directly. Yeah, good, good deal. But I'm just like, like <laughs> this actually isn't something that would, that would bother me. Like, like I, I've given talks about orgasm frequency and, uh, and, and happiness and things like that. So like, like, I don't think it's a big deal, but I know a lot of people think they'll die if they get blue balls. So what's the deal with that? <laughs> but it's, it's a really important question because I think that a lot of people who come to OM are, um, they're hungry. You know, even if we if we have a partnership, we might be hungry for a certain kind of sexual intimacy that um, we're not getting. And that's a real hunger. And I, I would never have anybody who has that hunger feel less than or like they're not doing it right or asking the right questions. If, if they're like, hey, man, like I'm doing this thing and I'm a hungry dude and I'm, I'm having a hard time getting fed. That's a that's a honorable, legitimate question. And I think the answer that I would, I would point to, and I teach a men's program. It's a, it's a three-day course that I teach all over the world. And one of the things that we go over is this uh, conditioning pattern we get in as men and women where um, the conditioning pattern is that um, men are stuck in the position of reaching for sex and women are stuck in the position of retracting in sex. And the... The truth is that, you know, again, I can't speak from my own experience, but this is something which a lot, I get a lot of head nods from, from the guys in class uh, and the women when this comes up in the co-ed classes, which is that most of us are conditioned that um, when a woman opens up a, 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 an avenue to get some sex or to get a blowjob or who knows what it is, but some way to get some kind of gratification, as men, we have this scarcity mentality where as soon as she opens up just a little bit, we're like... You know, we're like the guy who's been in solitary confinement for a year and, and the door, you know, cracks open just a little bit and a little bit of light comes in the room. You're running over to that light and you're, you know, you're going to try to crank that door open, you know, like that's a, that's a natural response for a hungry person. But that's feeding into the conditioning because desire actually needs space. You've got to have some space and some play for one person to come to another. It can't be that someone comes out a little bit on this side and then we charge all the way in and, and, and pounce on it. And so one of the things that orgasmic meditation does over time, this isn't a quick fix, Dave, is, is really important to know. But over time, what it actually trains men to do is learn how to play with their woman's hunger so that when she opens that thing up just a little bit, we don't charge in. We actually stroke it open even more, even more before going in to get anything. 
And so, you know, the oming analogy is that, you know, you start to feel a little bit with your finger and it feels good. You know, your viewers have to kind of take my word for it for this point if you don't practice, but I can put my finger on a woman's clitoris and I can feel the electricity running through my finger. And, you know, she can, if she's skilled, uh, she can choose to withhold that electricity or let me feel it. That's something which I've observed. If my wife's mad at me, she might shut that thing down for a period of time, <laughs> you know. And so the tendency when she opens it up is, you know, it feels so good. I want to go in and I want to stroke harder and faster to get more of it. But then it goes away. So the, the oming analogy is when you feel a little bit, stroke softer and lighter. That's actually what has the nerve endings want to come out to meet you. And that's how if, I think if you can understand how a woman's orgasm and her desire operates in that way, the rest of her starts to make a whole lot more sense. And you start to feel like you've actually got a chance at becoming masterful in this domain. So, so now every single guy or maybe even single woman listening to this right now is going, well, this is pretty good for people who have a partner. So if let's, let's start with the single woman thing. All right. If you're yeah. a single woman, you're like, wow, this sounds like great fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, totally. how do you go, like, like, how does this work? It's a great question again. So, um, how do I get a partner is, is the most common question. And, you know, just some quick statistics is about 80% of the people who come to our courses don't have partners. They come solo. Um, and about 20% come with partners. And so there, there's no right or wrong way to start a practice. The only thing you need to start a practice is desire to start a practice. And so don't, a, don't you need another person well, with a similar desire? <laughs> well, well, but so, so you know, you know, uh, again, you said this is I, I've got a bit of a different uh, viewpoint on it, which is that I think someone's practice of ohm starts the moment they have the desire to ohm, even if they don't know who they're going to ohm with, because having the desire first and foremost is is sort of the um, it's the first it's the first step of the practice, whether you're in connection with someone or you just have a feeling of desire. That's that's where actually I would start. It's sort of like, you know, uh, that's a uh, bit like saying, well, you know, I don't exercise, but I wanted to exercise. So therefore I am exercising. I think I think <laughs> exercise because it exists primarily in the physical, I think, is is not the best example. Okay. I think I, th I think it's more like and this is this is um, this is actually really important because I think this is one of those distinctions between the regular production world and the, the the world of the bedroom, which are two fundamentally different places. Sure. You know, like when a woman wants to have sex, you're going to know it far before she's sitting in front of you with her pants off. You know, the, the sex begins um, with just a little uh, wink or, um, you know, she, she takes a step closer to you or who knows what it is, but it's going to be something a lot more subtle than, you know, a blinking light over her genitals. Yeah, but it, it begins when there's two people in the room. And I'm, I'm just sort of thinking like like if, if you were to sit a single person of either sex down and say, well, yeah. actually, your practice begins without a partner, but just because you like want to have a partner. But like, <laughs> yeah. what, what I'm really getting at is, all right, so you don't have a partner. Yeah. You're interested in doing this. I hear what you're saying. Like, do you like call up and, you know, ohm on demand one, service? 1-800-stroke-or-get-stroke.com. 1-800-hot-ohm. I think you can get that. <laughs> right? I, I, like, how does, like, like really, it seems how like there's a big partners? gap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, so how do you find partners? A couple of different ways. So there are own communities all over the world. So this is like, um, this is, uh, you know, if you're not someone who already has a built-in partner, you can find partners in your courses, um, in the courses that you take. That's the first place. Uh, in London, San Francisco, New York, and Los Angeles, um, there are, you know, thousands of people in communities who are oming. And so... 
you know, we do two classes a month in all of those cities with about 50 people per class. So we're training about 100 people a month in these cities to Ohm at this point. And uh, that's not even counting people who are getting private training one-on-one with a trainer, which is what a lot of folks opt to do. And so uh, you can find partners in the class that you take. There's also something called the Ohm Practice Club, which is where if you've taken the class um, and you want to you wanna sharpen your skills, you want to get more training, you want to meet more partners, the Ohm Practice Club in every city is where you go to do that. You get to meet everyone who's been Ohming for years and people who have just been Ohming for months. And so when you say meet a partner, there's actually not an exchange of bodily fluids we're talking about here, right? That's actually right. The practice is the safest sex practice you could ever possibly do. Um, We don't even call it a sex practice, but, you know, that's a line which is, you know, kind of blurry for people to start with. Um, But it's it's the safest thing you can do with genitals. Not only is there no bodily exchange of fluids, um, you're also wearing gloves. Strokers wear a very fine vinyl glove when they stroke. That belongs on a T-shirt. The safest, <laughs> the safest thing you can do with genitals. I, I'm sorry, that's just a funny tagline. Right? But it's all, all right, so, it's all day around here, Dave. I got to tell you, it's all day. So now, okay, the stroker's wearing very fine vinyl gloves. Yeah. So, so that sounds a little bit like either kinky or clinical. It, it, but it, obviously, this isn't like a clinical kind of thing. I guess the gloves are just there for obvious, you know, mutual uh, mutual protection there. Yeah. There's it's it's on two levels. You know, on one level. It's a uh, Ohm is a practice, and so you, you we use that barrier so that um, we remember that you're not you're not in a sex act. There's something else that's happening here, and so the same way that we wouldn't we suggest that people don't Ohm on beds because beds are a context for sex you know for sex acts. We say um, you know Ohm on the floor. Um, there's something called a nest. It's like the yoga mat or yoga, or sorry, yeah, yoga mat or meditation cushion equivalent for roaming. So we say, you know, set your nest up on the floor. Don't do it on the bed. The gloves are a way to reinforce that you're in a practice. I, I thought about doing an Ohm nest at the Bulletproof conference, but I, we didn't have a little side room for that. But <laughs> you, can, you can bring one. <laughs> I have to see if we're allowed at the convention center, but I, I'm not. A, I'm yeah, not you want to you want to get permitted for for <laughs> Ohm is fitness actually permitted for fitness in a lot of cities. That's so funny. Um, just that you have to even deal with any regulatory authority for this right? kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, but <laughs> there's a, I'm, I'm open to that. But but the idea here is that it, it's not sex. It's it's intimate, clearly. Right. Um, and it, it, I've talked to a lot of, of people, particularly women, um, who have just been really uh, kind of transformed by this because of that opening that you're talking about. Yeah. Like more of an emotional, spiritual opening, not physical opening. Yeah. Um, what, are some of the, what are some of the things it does for guys, though? All right. Like we talked about it a little bit, but like, all right, so now you're, you're, you're going to be a better lover because you're more intuitive with women is basically what I got out of what you said before. What else is it going to do for you? Well, and this is, I think this is true of any practice is that, um, the practice benefits you do, you know, you get them, you know, like yoga, you know, it can be said of yoga that, you know, as you do it, you get better at yoga. That's the benefit of yoga is you get stronger and you're able to do better, you better yoga poses. Well, I know a lot of people who, uh, the benefits of the yoga practice translate to all different parts of their lives. You know, maybe they're more patient with that guy at work. Maybe, um, you know, they're, they're more flexible. So when they have to, you know, reach in the back of their car, they don't hurt their back anymore. You know, there's all these different benefits of, of strengthening muscles. And as a stroker, we call it a stroker and a strokey. So as a stroker in this practice, um, there's like a million benefits. I can tell you a couple. One is, like you said, that increased intuition. I can feel 
the internal state of the uh, say I'll use my wife as an example. I can feel her internal state at a much higher degree of contrast. You might say like a very high relief heat map. You know, if you were looking through like heat sensing goggles, it's it's that kind of experience. Uh, of sensation in my body, meaning I can just feel when things are on with between us, when things are off in a way that I never used to before and actually get real-time sensory feedback that I can translate cognitively to action. So that's huge, right? That's a, that's a huge piece. Um, I would say that there's also parts of myself that I'm a lot more in touch with since doing this practice. Um, we have a saying around here, which is that you can't selectively numb. You know, you can't choose... Uh, oh, I'm going to feel these convenient feelings and these inconvenient feelings. And I think for, uh, or these convenient feelings and these, in, not these inconvenient feelings. And I think, um, you know, one of the most common uh, complaints and or things, the symptoms that I hear men want to, uh, uh, you know, work on is they want to have more access to their emotions and they want to have more access to their feeling and they want to have more access to themselves. And because you can't selectively numb, you know, the inverse is also true. You can't selectively feel. And so if you're choosing not to feel a whole lot of things then your life is going to be kind of numb, that's what, that's what kept me, uh, you know, I was a, I was a big, you know, a fan of porn before doing, uh, this practice and Ohm really transformed my relationship to my own body such that, um, porn doesn't really do anything for me anymore. So I've, I've got a, I've got an increased, uh, acuity internally of like, what am I feeling now? And what am I feeling now? And what, what are my desires? And, you know, I can actually feel that at a much deeper level than I used to. I've got a lot more access to myself than I used to. I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest things. So, so now I have to ask, this is kind of a tough question, but okay. Porn activates dopamine in a pretty major way. That's right. So, so does actual well, either actual sex or we'll just say genitals since we're not actually having sex. So is it that porn isn't that interesting to you because you simply got something that's stimulating your dopamine even more? So you're like, oh, porn isn't interesting because I have vagina, right? But right, like, <laughs> are right you substituting one, one thing for another? Like, I don't think so. Three, three times a day we're talking about. Yeah, well, and... and- there's, there's actually a great article that I saw recently online. I, I can send you the, I can probably find it somewhere, but basically comparing the, the benefits of uh, what you would call uh, dopamine-based sex and oxytocin-based sex. Yep. And that is a really important distinction to make. Define both of those for people who don't know what those neurotransmitters are. Yeah. So dopamine is basically like, you know, it's like the, it's what's released when you, um, like the feeling of like doing a good job or having the reward center of your brain um, you know, stimulated. And, you know, they've done sub- studies where um, like rats get a dopamine hit um, every time they hit a, a button in the cage. It stimulates the dopamine and the rat will literally die in the process. It'll starve to death in the process of hitting the dopamine button. So it's a powerful thing that we're dealing with. Um, oxytocin, on the other hand, is something entirely different. It's related, but it's entirely different. And um, oxytocin, you know, you might call, uh, you know, it's a neurotransmitter for connection. You know, it's it's the thing that when a mother first gives birth, it's, um, you know, it's what has the mother and the baby bond at breastfeeding. It's released in, in huge quantities during breastfeeding. It's a bonding uh, chemical. And basically the... Um, the presence of oxytocin um, indicates the presence of connection. That's, I think, the the, the main difference versus, um, you know, dopamine you can get simply by winning a video game, you know, which is the, 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 the relationship that I think a lot of us have developed with porn in that way. 
Um, can I, is, um, I'll speak a little bit more on that. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please. So um, one way that I describe this is that porn is kind of like um, porn is kind of like the empty calorie. Um, one of my teachers made this really great uh, uh, observation a while ago, which is that um, you know if men are going to turn to technology for their sexual needs, they're likely to turn to porn. That's the that's the technological. Um, uh, product that we would purchase if we didn't have another human being present. Well, there's also the fleshlight and a variety of things like that as well, right? So there's totally. other kinds of physical technology, not just there digital. are there are, and I, I think if you look, you know, like there, it's a it's billions of dollars of industry. I mean, the, the it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Porn is huge. Porn is huge, and and there's yeah, there's a lot of other things, and like I I never got to the point, you know, where I was going to order a uh, a facsimile pussy. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, but me, me either. That's yeah. been on my on my bucket list. Yeah, that's the that's you know that's sort of like the Google Glass of porn at this point. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, I think the 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 thing that we look to porn for is um, is like a it's like an out of control woman. You know, I'll just say it in sort of plain spoken English. Is we have as men we have very easy direct access to what you might call uh, like direct orgasm. In other words, we can put our cocks in our hands really easily and have an experience of what you might call like direct stimulation. And the thing that we are looking for is a woman in an out of control state to supplement that. That's basically what what porn is. And um, why do you say a woman in an out of control state? Yeah, like like she's getting off, like you know. There's, okay, it's, right. so you mean a woman who's also enjoying herself and right, a okay. woman in a, in, a, in a pleasurable aroused state. Okay, yeah, exactly. Thanks for that clarification, right? And so, if but if it was all about climax, if it was all just about creating climax, then you know loneliness wouldn't be real, and we'd never leave the house, right? So that's sort of the that's sort of the the guy side of things. Now, if you look at what women. You know, when women reach for a product, they're oftentimes reaching for a vibrator. That is the most common, most sold, um, you know, uh, for women's, you know, sort of in, in the place of an actual partner, they would reach for a vibrator. And um, a vibrator is not, um, uh, it's providing that direct orgasm, but uh, it's because they don't have as easy access. Women aren't breaking down, you know, the, the, the porn stats. Men are. And so there's a certain nutrient that a man is looking for, which he, he has the opposite of, right? He's looking for an out-of-control, pleasure-induced woman. He's got plenty of this. But a woman doesn't have an easy access to this, but she has a lot of something else. You know, five out of six sex workers in the world are women. That is, I think, according to the World Health Organization recently said, five out of six sex, sex, sex workers in the world are women. And I think there's something very telling there, which is that women – have something called empathetic orgasm. They have orgasm which operates more as an invisible field than it does a direct stimulating thing. Women are much better at getting sensation. You know, look at strip clubs. You know, look at again. You know, it's like it's everywhere if you if you put the right glasses on. Um, women are very good at getting sensation into other people's bodies, but not as good at getting it into their own bodies. And so. You've got this industry set up, the porn and the vibrators, set up to provide um, what you might call like empty calories to both people. Because women get lonely too using vibrators. That's a lonely existence if you go home and it's just you and, and the vibrator. Like vibrators and cats. It's just it's not Vibrators alive, and right? cats. Well, cats, yeah. cats are pretty cool. Let's not diss the cats here. <laughs> but, but vibrators are, are – it's an empty calorie. And so what usually people find when they start oming, 
because ohm is and one way to look at it is you're you're actually giving the the real nutrient the non-empty calorie to both people. Men are having an experience of being in a woman's field as she's in an out-of-control, pleasurable state, which is badass. It's awesome, right? And then women are having an experience of actually being able to let go while having that spot that they so desperately want touched in a skillful way actually touched. And so you might say that vibrators and porn are the McDonald's of the sexuality world and oming is like the highly nutritious, um, you know, uh, bulletproof cafe version of the sexuality so, world. So, so oxytocin is a, a wonderful hormone, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's really important. It's amazing. Uh, however, so is testosterone. But if you, if you take too much testosterone, you like, you look stupid and you get real hairy and you right. get acne, right? A lot of, th- a lot of things happen it, from what I understand. Isn't there an upper limit? <laughs> to oxytocin like I've, I've known a, a couple of omers who are kind of blissed out an awful lot of the time and you know oxycodone which is not oxytocin but operates on the same or some of the same receptors yeah um it's pretty damned addictive actually like are, are you maybe getting too much oxytocin from a practice like this well I, again I, I, this is also a good question i think i think this is my observation as a seven-year practitioner is that um People can use anything they want. They, they can use uh, a variety of tools, in, including MCT oil, to get way, 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 way too high. You know, and, and then usually disaster pants prevents that. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, exactly. And like, you know, I've, um, and I'll just tell you, like, I, I, well, whatever, like, you can use anything. You can use Kundalini yoga to space out. Yeah, you, you, you can, know? right. You truly can. And so I think – and so one of the beautiful things about this practice is that when you're actually educated about how to use it, you can use it to open these different doors for yourself. So if you're a person who's normally really spacey, you can do what's called a downstroke ohm, which is an ohm that only has downstrokes to help ground you, right? But if you're spacey and you're kind of addicted to feeling that high all the time, then chances are you might be using the practice to stay in that really high state. But there's no um, – I don't think there's any part of the practice that um, predisposes you to staying in one location or another, so to speak, either high, really high or spacey or really low and kind of morose. I think if anything, what, what orgasm does is it um, helps you move out of places where you're stuck and experience new locations. I, I would buy that. I, I think orgasm, when it, it's done right in a, in a conscious way, is, is profoundly healing. Uh, and it, it can yeah. be really cathartic and you, know, you, you can, in fact, a surprising number of people have really intense spiritual experiences. Totally. Uh, and sometimes the, the people with them have no idea. Like, oh, that was good. You know, the person's like, I just met God. Totally. <laughs> like, like Oftentimes in oming, that's, a, you know, we, yeah. we experience that. That's, it's crazy. You know, someone will get up from an ohm, a guy will get up from an ohm and he'll be like, you know, she wasn't making all this noise and she wasn't doing all these things that I would expect her to do. And I feel kind of. Like, I don't know if I did it right. And then she'll turn to him and be like, well, there was this moment about four and a half minutes in where I dissolved into God and felt one with the universe. And I was, I was filled with warm, sparkly sensations. And he'll be like, you were, you know? Yep. <laughs> and, and so it, it's, there's definitely a lot going on here that, that that's hard to, it's hard to put words around. Yeah. And, and I have no idea on the oxytocin thing. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we have a scientific answer to, you know, is there, can you get too much oxytocin from a sex practice? And, you know, and, it's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. I, I I, yeah. And I think, I think, um, you know, a little commentary, I really, I really think that, um, I think oftentimes if we, 
I, I hear this all the time from practitioners, people who are like, well, you know, I might get addicted to this, you know, like what's the, what's the downside? You know, are there people who have, you know, gotten really hooked on this who can't stop and it hurts them? You know, like what's the harm possibility here? And it's a, I think it's a really important question to ask anything when you're, when you're getting involved with something, which is, um, which frankly we're so hungry for. And my experience is that the same people who ask that question are the ones who come to me and say, I feel insatiable. You know, I feel, I feel like if I have just a little bit that, um, I'll want it forever and ever and ever. And something that Nicole, you know, who, you know, who is the founder of this organization, you know, taught me a long time ago is that insatiability, the claim of insatiability is often the song of the starving. It's often just someone who's saying, I've been hungry for a really, really long time. You know, at, at the beginning of this practice, I, you know, I didn't realize how much I wanted. And I, I owned every day, multiple times a day for weeks. And eventually I hit this point where I was like, wow, I'm full. Like I am actually full. I could actually feel a full point. And that's a really common experience for practitioners. Oh, uh, it, I hear the same thing about food. Yeah, where truly. people have been eating crap or just even not eating crap, just eating the wrong food, even totally. with the, the intent of not eating crap, but eating stuff that didn't work, where they, they've never not had food cravings, where like yeah. all of the time they're in a constant state of hunger or cravings or, or deficiency. And when they finally get full, it's like, wow, I, I'm actually not hungry and I felt energized for the whole day. Right. So it, that can take a long time in, in any kind of thing that you feel like you're lacking, uh, including just human connection, which is you know, not food or sex. Dead on, man. So... There's a couple of things that I've heard talking more about food since I, I do have the cookbook coming out in December. I'm super excited. I'm. I have to tell you, MCT oil changed my life. I'm so grateful. Oh. You guys, you guys are doing amazing things over there, and I'm, no, I, I'm I, so I'm so honored and grateful to even be talking to you guys. Are you using the Brain Octane, the the, the stuff? So, yeah, so that I, isn't actually MCT oil. That's only one quarter of what's in most commercial MCT oil. Oh, wow. So it's, yeah, it turns out two of the four MCT oils don't work and they're just sold because they're cheaper. <laughs> so well, that explains my, my experience on a couple of vacations where I've run to the, the grocery store trying yeah. to find what I needed. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. Like, like people, like they'll always like try and get away with the cheap stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it makes a difference. Now, when you say it changed your life difference. internally or externally, <laughs> given what you do. <laughs> well, I think, I think both. I mean, there's, there's, I'll tell you, I was always a guy just from diet wise, you know, I, I, I've oftentimes my body likes high fat, you know, it just does ever since yeah. I was a little kid and I listened to it. You know, I'm, I'm not one of the, I'm luckily, I've got other stuff, obviously, but um, I'm luckily not one of the people who's had a lot of resistance to his own appetite, you know, as a as an adult. And um, there's just something, it's almost like that feeling when you wake up in the morning after like the really great night's sleep and you wake up and everything just sort of feels gentle. There's no panic. There's no, um, what am I going to do today? Yeah. Check my phone immediately. There's a feeling my brain has when I'm actually supplying it with the nutrients that it wants, yes. including the brain octane, that it's just like free to be, you know, that mm -hmm. um, I find uh, uh, very pleasurable and very natural. Well, well you're, you're in an odd state because uh, there's, there's these, these three things that, that keep us alive uh, and, and keep all mammals alive, right? There's 
Um, the eat anything in front of you so you don't starve to death. Okay, right. this is a very important <laughs> like like every animal the does hung, this. The hungry at Whole Foods in the dessert section. Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's also like the Labrador walking down the street. Oh, look, a taco in the gutter. I think I'll eat that and then right. throw up later. It doesn't matter. Right. I ate it, right? <laughs> so this is a natural urge, right? So most people are starving, and that part of their 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 nervous system, not even their brain, is like eat. So they're they're constantly doing this, and you're doing brain octane. You're, you're eating. A, bulletproof. So you don't have that constant striving every day. And most one of the other three things that our brains do is make sure the species survives by reproducing, which means have sex for God's sake, have sex now. Aren't you listening? Right. right? You've also managed to, to control that or to tame that, or just to, to feel satisfied where you've got the connectedness of that. Um, and so that doesn't run, I'm guessing anyway, um, as a voice in, in your head all the time. And it doesn't for me because I've trained mine a different way, but not from a, yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny. It's like, I think there's a different, I think what you're pointing to is something, um, very subtle and very important that I, I've rarely heard anyone put into such, um, specific and, um, like concise terms, but there's a, there's a, a scarcity mind, um, which prevents us from actually feeling when we are really hungry which will mm-hmm. constantly tell us consume, 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 consume. And one of the things that I actually talk about with a lot of guys in the men's weekend is that, you know, for their whole lives, there, there's two tracks. They've been on the, I have to earn it track in some way with women their whole lives versus the, um, I can, like, how much can I have? You know, it's how much can I earn versus how much can I have? And I think what, you know, how much can I have once there's an abundance, you have the, uh, or the sense of abundance, um, you have the luxury of actually having a real true appetite, not just um, what do I consume right in front of me as long as it's here and present, you know, uh, the, whether it's the taco in the gutter or um, reaching in to get the sex the moment that it's available. You can actually start to have play and freedom around these things that you didn't have yep. before. And it, it, if you look at, at those two things, the third one is basically the run or kill <laughs> <laughs> which is like, if right. a tiger is going to kill me, either run away from it or try and stop it from killing me. Those right. three things, that's the, that's all you need in a basic organism to survive for many generations. So in your case, you've already had basically got dominion over two of those three. And I would argue that when you get control of some of the sex stuff, that you also gain control of some of the other things around the distractibility and fight or flight. But so most people have all three of those competing and so they're sort of bouncing around it's madness yeah. in, inside and then if you just do the food thing like you're talking about that oh wait i woke up and i wasn't like thinking about food like like now i can think about something else most people okay what do i think about next sex well you've, you've also addressed that so that, that's a pretty powerful place to be and and that's a part of that resilience training that i build into the whole bulletproof lifestyle is like how do you how do you do those things um, my own approach towards orgasm and sex was i i did a a year-long experiment. I talked with Pooja about this on, on the air, and I gave a talk at the Quantified Self Conference. I believe, yeah, I believe I've read about it. Fascinating. Yeah, and for people listening, it's it's one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to measure the quality of my life. Like, how much energy do I have? How much do I like everything uh, on a daily basis? And I'm going to track how often I have sex and how often I ejaculate. 
and I'm going to follow the, the Taoist recommendations based on my age, which meant like no ejaculations more than once every eight days and maybe only once every 30 days. And I did this for about a year and I tracked all the data and was like, awesome study. I read it. I loved it. And there's like, there's a, a hangover effect. So for me, the act of learning how to not have, not ejaculate for 30 days uh, and to, to do that consciously, which is an enormous act of willpower and very difficult. It was kind of like training that dog in my head, like to sit and not hump someone's leg whenever it wanted to. Yeah. It's an so, addiction, man. You, yeah. you, 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 you can break you it. Broke, you broke yourself yeah. of a very powerful mm-hmm. addiction. Yeah. Yeah, and that also has the side effect of making a really good lover because, well, uh, at least yeah. I, I like to think so because you're like you're just like okay, whether I finish or not, I still have a good time. Hey, and, baby, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's it's a different approach than one taste, and I'm, I wouldn't say I would say it was really hard and also kind of fun to learn that. But um, well, actually, it, it, it's, it, a, it's a similar approach though in, in that you're like it okay, has a lot. It has a lot of parallels. Yeah. I, th- I think you reached it through. Uh, I think it's um, you know, I think I think one of the side effects of Ohm. And why it has people, at least a lot, one of the most common things, I swear to you, men constantly are saying, I don't watch porn anymore because they don't, they're, they're not listening to the unsatisfiable voice that says climax, 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 right? That yeah. they're, they're actually in direct contact with something real. You know, uh, in this way, it's almost like this, this form of connection is regulatory to their systems, where they can actually feel between them and a woman, and um, the, you know, as the practice is goalless, it actually, like you said, it it, it has them be able to um, relax a little bit and actually feel what's happening between them, which is, I think, exactly what's happening with you as a lover. And your experiences, you're not so you're not your 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 brain isn't hooked on climax. You know, it's actually in the moment present having an experience and then when it's over it's over regardless of whether you climax or not that doesn't determine the end of the fairy tale yeah it, it's a it's a great analogy of the fairy tale I, I really like that and it it's it's funny there's been a good number of bulletproof followers who follow this this kind of idea that all right like stop looking at porn stop masturbating for a while and, and see what happens and I've had a, a couple of people come up to me and say, you know, I, I, I did what you said. Oftentimes these are guys like doing this when I was 25. Are you kidding me? I, there's no way I, I could have. Well, maybe that's not true. But I, there's no way I would have believed I could do it when I was 25. Uh, just because you have a lot of testosterone. I, I actually don't come to think. I had pretty low testosterone when I was 25 quantitatively <laughs> because I was fat. But I, I still had a pretty good sex drive. And I, I think it would have, I wouldn't have been ready to, to try and do that. But I've had a few guys in that age range say, I, I, I decided I wouldn't ejaculate for a month or something. And like, and I started a company and I like worked out and I lost this weight and like an amazing amount of energy that would have gone into sex went into other parts of their life. Truly. And, and it, it's kind of a huge thing. Yeah. What about for women? What about for women though? And this is where I asked Nicole this at, at the summit mm-hmm. series on powder mountain there in Eden. And, um, you know, she was like, no, guys should have more orgasms too. And, uh, and for women, I, I don't believe that, f- that this would be even healthy for them. Is there a difference in the way men and women will call it climax and in, in the benefits of those in, in the teachings of one taste or just what you know? Answer that question. It's a, it's a really good question. So your question is, what's the, how is, what's the difference for women in their experience of climax? Well, well, oh, oh, oh well, actually, yeah, well, I hear let you. Let me quote the Taoist and just tell sure. me if you support the statement. Sure, tell me. Um, They'll say uh, um, a woman walks away from orgasm or climax, however you want to define it, undiminished. But essentially for guys, it, it, it's 
this is not their words. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, like it, it's a, it's a, an energetic burden. It, it, it diminishes you. And, and I, my data was like, holy crap, I'm kind of a jerk and I don't like my life for three days after right. I ejaculate. Right. Like the, it does take something out and that it takes a while to regenerate. And but for women, it seems to put something in. Um, you know, it, it increases oxytocin. It also, it also increases testosterone with women. What my experience has been over seven years around them and in climax is a couple things. I think for a lot of women, they're told from a very young age that, again, if they're not having an experience that's like a man's, like that is like the sort of the male tendency of, of like that sharp, you know, climb and then boom at the very top. If they can't do that, there is something wrong. And so they've gotten, you know, I can't tell you how many times I used to be on the one taste 800 line. Every time you call the 800 one, you know, our, our 800 number, I'd pick up and a woman oftentimes would say some, some version of, um, can you help me? My boyfriend, husband, lover, whoever is dying for me to climax and I got to figure out how to do this so I can please him. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that phone call and eventually talked to women through. Like, hey, have you noticed that your body doesn't seem to actually want to do that naturally every single time the way that his does? Like, and what do you make of that? And sort of let her come to her own conclusions about it. And so for a lot of women, I think what Ohm starts to do is um, has them really see what their body can do in a different way. And so what is that exactly? It's almost like imagine um, for a lot of women, as they... uh, so you need a whole different language to describe this because it's not climax-based. So I'll give you a little bit of Omer language. It's kind of weird, but we'll see, we'll see how it works. As they grow their orgasm, which you can imagine is sort of like a balloon that you blow bigger and bigger and bigger, which is like basically it's like how much electricity can she hold in her body? right? How much feeling can she have? How much sensitivity can she hold at once? And for a lot of us, that's what we would call that blue balls feeling. For guys, we call it blue balls. It's usually localized to our genitals. Women have a different experience of that in their bodies. We call it tumescence. And tumescence, if you look it up in the dictionary, is like, um, you know, engorgement. You know, but if you look in 80s romance novels, you might see it defined as like his tumescent member, you know. But the way that we usually use it is like a lot of um, frozen, stuck sexual energy. Basically, you're feeling a lot of like itchy, tight sensation in your body. Um, and it feels like it has nowhere to go. And so most women say, ah, I feel this tension. I got to have a sexual release. And they think the only way to do that is to have a climax. And so what Ohm tends to do, because you're, you're adding movement and friction, you know, stroking that clitoris helps all that sexual energy to move. It's sort of like, um, you know, if you live in a, in a winter climate um, and you have a house, um, you know, the pipes freeze if you don't turn the hot, if you don't turn the water on, right? You actually have to move the water through the pipe so they don't freeze so that, you know, that they, they won't explode when you try to turn the water on. Right. And so orgasm in a woman's body is really much like that. They're, they have as much sexual energy as men do, if not more. Um, and it just tends to freeze easier than men's does for various reasons, I think, conditioning and biological, mostly conditioning. So... What tends to happen with oming is that a woman's able to thaw out all of that frozen feeling in her body, which causes all the discomfort and the need to have a release, Ah, right? Ohm thaws that out over time. So it's actually flexible and pliable and it feels hot and sexy and turned on. And you can actually do something with it. Like you were saying, the people, the guys who didn't 
um, who weren't so obsessed with masturbation, they grew their business by 500%. Amazing what you could do with all that energy, you know? And so for a lot of women, it's, it's more about getting all of that, which is stuck moving, getting all of that stuck stuff actually flowing. So you're not a walking iceberg, you know, you're actually a, a, a deeply flowing, hot, electric ball of energy that can be done, that can, you can do anything with it. And most of all, you're incredibly, incredibly pleasurable to be around because a turned on woman, a woman who's got that energy moving in her body is the only person you want to be around when she's like that um, in the boardroom, in the boardroom or in the bedroom. Is it, uh, is it the, is it similar for guys? I, it certainly was for me. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of, a lot of what Ohm does for both people is have them come to be in approval of things that they, they weren't previously in approval with about themselves. You know, there's all these effects that it has on the body. And I think it's equally a, a, a head job. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a body, it's a body thing, but it's also equally a head thing in order to, um, in order to feel each other, uh, in order to have, in order to have a good Ohm so to speak, mm-hmm. an, an easily enjoyable ohm, I can't sit there uh, as a mechanical stroker, you know, one stroke up, one stroke down. Am I doing a good job? Is this, you know, like I can't have that running dialogue and like trying to be a good stroker, you know, I've actually got to let myself be felt in the tip of my finger. I've got to stroke with all of me, you know, in, in the same way that we talked about earlier that, um, you know, the rules of the, of the climax-based world or the masculine world or the production-based world, you might say, are 180 degrees different than the rules of the bedroom. So, you know, in, in the business context, you, you wouldn't hear someone say, um, yeah, how do you feel about that? Does that feel good to you? You hear them say, bottom line it. You know, those are, those are two very different styles of communication versus in the bedroom, you're going to hear someone saying, how does that feel to you? But rarely ever bottom line it. Right, they're they're two totally different domains, and so the same thing is true of orgasm. So what what I noticed when I was doing my my one year of of basically um, not ejaculating all the time, yeah, uh, and I still, by the way, I still stick to that like every eight days or or, or thereabouts kind of thing, just because like yeah. quality of life is higher for me that way. Yeah, but the uh, what I noticed then was that. Be, especially when, you're, when I was first learning that, like you're kind of turned on all the time. Um, so in that state, I was a lot more attractive to women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I was just more attracted to them. It was that when I, you know, I'm, I'm married, I'm monogamous, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. just sort of, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be on a, at a business conference and I would just get hit on way more than was normal. Right. right? And it, it was, it was pretty darn noticeable. And I'm, I, I feel like that was the reason for it where it, like there, there's some sort of, of, I don't know, energy signal, pheromones, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know the mechanism, but there was something happening that was pretty noticeable. Yeah. And I'm guessing that so it, when you're a master stroker, does that happen too? Uh, constantly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, there's a certain knowledge that, that, you know, I don't know if you, if it can, you can't let it go to your head, you know, in, in the same way, it's like, you can't, you can't let the positive or the, or the negative criticism, you know, impact you. It's like, um, ultimately as a stroker, I'm stroking for my own pleasure. I'm not doing it for whatever the, you know, being a good stroker would mean she would do something good for me afterwards, or she would give me accolades or a high five or whatever. Like I'm not, one of the tricks to this whole practice is that I can't be doing it for her. I have to be doing it for me. 
You know, I actually have to be doing what's, what feels pleasurable to me. Um, you know, it's, it's the difference between having a, a, you know, someone servicing you sexually versus them devouring you for their own pleasure. It's a night and day experience. I think everyone listening can probably imagine that. But the reason I say that is because um, there is some knowledge as a stroker that's like, I can handle her body better than she can. You know, she can't, she can't take herself out of control. There is a certain feeling. There is a certain, um, like, you know, uh, confidence that does come with that, which is, um, which I'd be lying if I said that was inalienable from the practice. Now you, you talked about criticisms there and there, there's one question I want to bring up, um, sure. respectfully. Yeah. Um, so you guys are coming to the Bulletproof conference, so it, yeah. it, I mean, you can tell where I am on the side of this, but one of the, the criticisms that I've heard about for one taste is that you guys are a little bit cultish. Um, what do you say about that? Like, like, are you cultish? You know, are you a cult? Like, like, how do you, how do you answer that? You know, it's a great question. I think, um, so we definitely have this definition of orgasm, which is way different than what most people would describe. There's certain language that we have, which, um, you know, in psychology, they would, they would refer to it as a discourse community. You know, if you hang out with a bunch of statisticians, you go hang out with a bunch of um, psychology professionals, economists, they're going to, my, my uncle is actually um, a head of philosophy at NYU. Um, if you go hang out with these people and you try to read their papers, they're unintelligible. You know, to, to normal people, it's very difficult to, to actually penetrate, you know, that, those bodies of knowledge. And, you know, I think most of what we encounter in that regard, or at least one part of it, is that we do have language for, for experiences in what I would call a feminine world that sound very alien to what most people are used to. Tumescence, for example, who uses that word? You know, that's a totally different thing. Oh, grow your orgasm. You know, that already sounds really strange. I think it'd be be a great name for my next dog, but we'll figure that out. Right. And so (laughs) tumescence, right? So yeah, well, dogs get tumescent, so I have to run them, you know? Um, But I think, I think that's, um, I think that's part of it. I think language is part of it. I think the other part of why it comes off that way is that um, we have a very heavy cultural immune response to sexuality and um, community. Those two things together in our culture do not typically go very well. You know, you look at it over time and, you know, there's kids, you know, that are being raped. And you look in the news, you see it every day around the world and around the country. There isn't a whole lot of positive context for something which would involve sexuality and community at a very high level of operation with a lot of organization. Those things, that sounds creepy just to me sitting here talking about it. I'm like, well, that's creepy. Is that what we're doing? You know? And at at the same time, um, I've been doing this for seven years. I, um, I started actually, my, my parents met at a Zen Buddhist monastery in the seventies, you know, and Zen Buddhism back in the day, you know, my grandmother was freaked out when my father started practicing Zen in the seventies. And he did it with one of the greatest teachers of all time, you know, Suzuki Roshi, who wrote this great book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And, you know, he was this kid from Chicago who grew up managing liquor stores, you know, Jewish kid from Chicago. And, uh, my grandmother flipped out, you know, she basically got on a plane and came immediately to California and was like, what are you doing? Who are these people? Why are all their heads shaved and why are they facing the wall? You know, and like, but I grew up in that and it was kind of normal. And I remember first coming to one taste and being like, you know, I've never known anyone who had something to offer or who, or who was offering something, regardless of what I thought it was valuable in the realm of sexuality and um, had someone doing that and, and um, felt 
safe about it, good about it, um, like there was consciousness and consideration that was being taken place, you know, and this was the first place I really experienced that. Um, and so I had, I really had to re- honestly reflect when I first started doing this, I had the same thought. I was like, what the hell is this, you know, genital stroking for, you know, for consciousness, what the hell, you know? And, uh, I had to really be honest that I came from a place where, um, people didn't have very much sex, shave their heads and face the walls for days on end. And that's kind of weird to normal culture, but that's a protocol they were doing for a very specific type of outcome. You know, I really, I really love Zen for that reason, but you know, you could just as easily go in that direction with, with it. And I think, um, I think this does, this is something which for a lot of people, there is still a, there is still, um, a bit of a barrier to entry just about, you know, the, 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 the ticket price for these benefits is, you know, for women, you're taking your pants off and you're having a genital stroke, potentially by someone you don't know particularly well, maybe someone you do, but maybe not. It's totally your choice, but this is not our normal days <laughs> for most of us. We don't normally wake up and say, I'd like to have my genitals goallessly stroked, you know, and maybe not even by, you know, maybe not even just two of us, maybe in a room with a bunch of other people who are having their genitals goallessly stroked too in this particular way. But the thing I can tell you is that the only way that I was able to say yes to this was by paying attention to the quality of people who were involved. I knew that, you know, as weird as all of it sounded, there was something in this that I knew had power, that I knew had some promise, and I knew I needed. And um, I just took one small step after one small step and read one article after the next and talked to people and got a really good feel for it. And the only thing I would say to anybody who's, who's skeptical or curious is your skepticism is welcome. Your curiosity is welcome. Go at whatever pace feels right to you. You will never have pressure to do anything you don't want to do. And the door is always open. And that's why I, I'm cool with you guys coming to the conference. If, if I thought you were doing the indoctrination sort of thing, I, I don't get that vibe. And I, I think there's an enormous value for people um, who become aware of the power that um, sex, uh, sexual stimulation, arousal, and orgasm have on your nervous system, and just on controlling your biology. It's one it's of healthy. the three. It's one of the three things that it's you healthy. need to own. So doctors, cool. doctors have called OM uh, one of the greatest wellness practices of all time. You know, it's like, you know, it's 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 just one of those things that whether we like to admit it or not, um, it's important. You know, uh, our our sexual satisfaction, our sexual well being. Most people would rank it the number one most important thing in their lives, their relationships and their sex life. And most people also would never spend a single cent towards it um, to actually, you know, improve it or, and take a, a noticeable increase in their enjoyment of it. And life is short, man. So I, I, I really uh, uh, thank you for bringing that up and giving me a chance to address that. Uh, you got it. And we're running out of time on the show. So I have one final question for you. Yeah. And that is given all the stuff that you've come across in life, both at Apple and just in life, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, all right, there's three things that I want you to tell me, three most important things for me to, to be a better human. I want to perform better at everything in life. I want to kick more ass. What do I need to know? I would say find something that is uh, more important to you than the money than the accolades, than the um, than than any of the things that our culture tells you that you should have. Okay. I would say find find something that um, 
just strikes the passion inside of you, which in its pursuit, even though you may not necessarily arrive at the at the pot of gold or, you know, in the case of a lot of the you know guys out there, you mentioned pickup artists earlier, like, you know, you might not get the woman. But it's a, it'll be a distant enough goal. It's a, it's a big enough aspiration that no matter what happens, no matter what you achieve from it, you will always get the person you were, you were meant to be. You will grow in ways that you would not have been able to grow playing it safe. That's, that's I think, the, the, the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, yeah, like all of you have a little – everybody everybody who, who – Ohms, everyone who doesn't ohm, regardless of what category you fit into, you have a little voice inside of you. And it's a little voice that we, we, I think a lot of us, you know, have been told to ignore for a very, very long time. And you said earlier, it's your intuition, it's your feminine, it's, you know, however, it's God, who, you know, how, wherever you come from, however you talk about that particular voice, you've all got one. And so my advice would be learn how to listen to it and treat it well. Because um, if you do, it will deliver to you, even if it says crazy things. Um, things which don't make any sense, like leave your hot shot fast track job at Apple and go work for an orgasm company. Um, it is intelligent. It may not be rational. Not all things rational um, uh, are intelligent, and not things not all things irrational are not intelligent. There's a lot of yeah. intelligence in the felt senses. That's the second thing. And then I think the third thing would be um, like remember to enjoy the ride. Like, I would say that um, one of the things that orgasm has taught me, and this is maybe a whole other conversation, is how to play. You know, all of a sudden, when when there isn't a goal, when there isn't something that I'm trying to strive for, um, that feels like life or death. When I've actually got a practice of doing something every single day, the outcome starts to get less and less important. If I'm doing yoga every day, I was an All-American lacrosse player in in college, you know, so it's like the days I would go out and... um, if I was in if I was in the season and I was throwing the ball around, I didn't care how many goals I made. But if I was in the off season and I was out of practice, every single shot I was I was worried about making it. Right. And so I would say get a practice. If it's something that you love, if it's sex, if it's orgasm, if it's coffee, who knows what it is, make it a practice so you can actually learn how to play with it and not take it so seriously. Beautiful. Uh, Eli, where can people find out more info about one taste? They can find it really easily at www.one, that's O-N-E, taste, like your taste bud, one word, one taste, dot U-S. Awesome. They can also come to the Bulletproof Conference and see you guys live, which is kind of cool. They can. We have, uh, we have lots of events on that website you can find. So, so pe- people can get the whole list online. So in major cities. Awesome. All right, Eli, have an awesome day and thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you please do me a favor and check out One Taste if that's interesting to you? And if not, check out something on Bulletproof.com. In fact, if you look at what we've got there, we've got the collagen bars, the new Bulletproof bars. These are the most amazing bars ever. They completely fill you up. They taste really good. And they're like, they've been a labor of love. I've been working on them for so long. They just came out in the last few months and they've completely changed my travel. If you haven't had a chance to try them, I like the vanilla, but about 40% of people prefer the chocolate. These are not like any bars you've ever had. Give them a try. You won't regret it.
A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.